Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. In the family business as a stonemason, his father was quite successful and young Samuel was loved well by his mother even though he had been caught stealing and warned about it and the authorities had been involved. But Samuel still had good prospects of a great future in front of him. But he was tempted again. He stole a watch. This time he was brought before the old Bailey, the courts, and at the age of only 17 he was convicted of larceny and sentenced to seven years transportation, as they called it. And in 1787, he set sail as a convict on the first fleet to Australia and said goodbye to his family. Eight months later, he arrived and he was set to work as a stonemason and overseeing others. So it wasn't altogether that bad. He was working at Benelong Point, quarrying the sandstone and building the hospital and other buildings on what is now Macquarie Street. But within a few months, he was caught stealing again, this time from an officer's tent, just a few clothes, but enough that on June the 23rd, 1788, he was sentenced to hang at just 21 years old. So Samuel Payton would be just another name on the list of convicts who were hanged at that time, if not for a letter that he wrote to his mother on the eve of his execution. And the letter made it back to England where it was kept and recorded and it captures something important about the Easter message. And he wrote this, My dear mother, with what agony of soul do I dedicate the last few moments of my life to bid you an eternal adieu. My doom has been irrevocably fixed and by by this hour tomorrow I shall have entered into eternity. Too late I regret my inattention to your admonitions and feel myself sensibly affected by the remembrance of the many anxious moments you have passed on my account. For these and all my other transgressions, however great, I supplicate the divine forgiveness. And encouraged by the promises of that Saviour who died for us all, I trust to receive that mercy in the world to come which my offences have deprived me of all hope of in this. Sincerely penitent for my sins and firmly relying on the merits of a blessed Redeemer, I am at perfect peace with all mankind. Commend my soul to divine mercy. I bid you an eternal farewell, your unhappy dying son, Samuel Payton. The next day, At the gallows, he was still repentant, and we know that because there's a record of the scene. Down near Circular Quay, big tree that they used there, and they gathered around, and the record says this, he prayed aloud, fervently begging forgiveness for offending God and expressing hope that the people he had injured would not only forgive him, but also pray to the Lord as our merciful Redeemer. That young man quite rightly reflected on the death of Christ as a sacrifice and substitute for us all 
so that even though he was saddened by his own tragic death, he had eternal hope beyond it. And also, quite rightly, he was sorry for his sin, which is not something we hear a lot about these days. The concept of sin, the the it's not very, not very, it's not trending, is it? Not something you see on social media. You know, how's your sin meter going? What, you know, are you have you offended God lately? We don't hear people talking about that, or, or about uh, failing to obey God's expectations of us. We we. We have people making up their own notions of God, uh, the concept of relative truth. What's, whatever makes you happy can't be wrong, surely. Uh, and no one really wants to admit any fault. As uh, John Dixon, the historian and Christian, wrote recently, for much of human history, people were so acutely aware of divine judgment, it was difficult to convince them of the love and mercy that Jesus taught. But today, people are so accustomed to the notion of divine love, it's difficult to convince anyone of sin and judgment. And the fact is, the biggest problem we've got in the world today is not economic, it's not the threat of rising interest rates or house prices, it's not climate change or anything geographic, it's not political with crazy leaders like Kim Jong-un, it's not even terrorism, ISIS or any other terrorist group. The the biggest problem is a lot closer to home for each one of us uh, because the greatest problem in the world is sin and its consequences are devastating. And in fact, all the problems in the world stem from this human condition, whether it's a massive conflict and all fallout full-scale war or just a personal hurt and offence and difference. It, it affects each one of us because we're all born into it. We're all affected by it and we all make mistakes. We all offend God. All, Byron was talking about all. There's a good all and, and there's the reality of all that we've all sinned and, and, there's, and there's nothing we can do ourselves <laughs> to stop it. But... Praise the Lord for Easter, yeah? It's, thankfully, we haven't been left on our own. A light has come to shine in the darkness, and his name is Jesus, and we celebrate him today. And he came to rescue us from our sin, to provide a way for us back to God, to, to be forgiven and set free from the results, the effects, the power of sin. And uh, look at how the Bible puts it. This is a passage uh, might be well known to you, certainly the first verse. I'll read Romans 3.23. I'll read a few verses down to 26. Maybe oh, there it is on the screen. Um, and it says, uh, verse 23. We've got verse 23 there. Uh, verse 23 says, says uh, For everyone has sinned. We all, there's the all, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe 
that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So there's the Easter message right there. And Paul, when he was writing that, talking about this present time, well, of course, that's nearly 2,000 years ago, but for us, it's still just as applicable to this present time. And... uh, and it says we all fall short. We all sin. We're all unable to get to know God personally. But the good news is that Jesus has come and brought an incredible solution to that. He's paid the penalty for our sins. He's been to the cross as a sacrifice. And now we can be restored into relationship simply by believing. Nothing we earn, nothing we do, simply a step of faith and trust in him. And, you know, one of the smartest things that Samuel Payton, that young guy, did even in his short life, was to recognize his sin. And the next smart thing he did was, was of course, to turn to Jesus for forgiveness for that sin. So when he went to the gallows, he was saddened by his life, but he also had the opportunity to look forward to eternity with a confidence, a certainty, and assurance that he would follow his newfound Savior and Lord into eternity. And be in God's presence because Jesus, he isn't on the cross. He's not in the grave. Come on, he's risen. He's alive. And his life, his eternal life, comes to live within anyone that leans with faith in his direction, that turns and recognizes sin and then turns again to Jesus to deal with it and commit to follow him. And so today we... We remember the cross, we recognize our sin, we repent from it, we receive forgiveness, we get a new relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, and we also celebrate the resurrection, the victory that Jesus has brought over death. And, you know, because we, like, we don't like to think about death. We don't talk about it. In fact, um, King Louis Fourteenth. I read this recently, King Louis was one of the French kings, lived in the 1600s and then into the 1700s. He famously banned the word death from ever being spoken in his presence. And no one would have taken him on because that was pretty strong, you know, kingship back then. Um, and he, um, he just didn't want to think about it, didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to go there. Uh, and he lived a long life, had a long rule. In fact, he's had the longest rule of any European monarch ever because it helps when you become king at five. He was five years old. Uh, and he lived right through a uh, very long time, but on the 1st of September, 1715, even though he's surrounded by the luxury, wealth, pomp and wonders of the Palace of Versailles where he was, He finally breathed his last and uh, a few days short of his 77th birthday. So that's a good inning, especially back then. But we just don't get to live forever, even though we don't want to think about it. You know, last night we watched um, Grand Designs. Now, you've seen Grand Designs. You know, Kevin from England, 
I don't know how they're going to do it. You know, it's six months to go and the rain's coming in Yorkshire. And, oh, I don't know. You know, he's got the... And, uh, and then they've, you know, they've syndicated it. They've got an Australian one and, uh, and now they've got a New Zealand one. And we were watching uh, Grand Designs New Zealand and, uh, and it's, it's great. They follow all these different, you know, housing projects. And the one last night that we watched, it's very moving, uh, this young guy, uh, reasonably young, uh, was wanting to rebuild his house for his family because it had been devastated by the earthquake in Christchurch. It was still standing, but it had been affected. So he was doing a rebuild and wanting it to withstand future earthquakes, and he wanted to leave his mark. But the most poignant thing about it was the fact that he's got cancer, and that even though he's had treatment, he's been told that it's really only prolonging the inevitable, and he's going to die. And he's talking about it on TV, which is kind of shocking and startling. You don't see that. Someone in a measured way talking about, on one hand, their new house design, and his wife and daughter are there, and it's all very positive. And then he talks about wanting to leave a legacy and leaving his mark because he knows his days are numbered. And I thought, well, that's that's different because, as I said, we we you don't see that on TV or in just general. People don't talk about it, and yet we know it's inevitable. We don't, uh, you know, we don't want to think about it or notice it. But I don't know if you've realised this body, as healthy as you might keep yours. It's only temporary. Uh, it's not going to last forever. The Bible calls it a tent. And if you've been camping out in your tent for a while, you'll probably notice that it's just sagging a little in a few places, fraying around the edges. You know when you get a brand new tent and it's exciting? Remember the Bradys had the Taj Mahal of tents. We used to go camping and they just had this gorgeous purple and green thing that had rooms that went on and on and on. It's going back a few years. I guess if you pull the Taj Mahal out now, it might not be as taut and terrific. And, uh, you know, th- just time has its way. I, look, yesterday, no, Friday, Easter Friday, we went to the beach. And I like to run on the beach. I've got to earn my swim. Um, and so the, the key is if the water's cold, if you run hard enough and long enough, you'll be hot enough that the water's refreshing, not terribly cold. So I go for a run uh, when I'm usually at, at, at the beach. And so I had the... Um, the young whippersnappers with me, Keelan and young Kale, uh, and Keelan's training for the school cross country, and he can beat me now over three kilometres, and he's very excited about that. Um, and Kale can beat me over any distance, but I figured, well, I'll, I'll still go for a jog. So we jog, we go from Terrigalish to you know up towards Wombrel, and then we turn around, and I say to them, "Look, you guys stretch your legs because you know you got Keelan's." training for the cross country so you know at, at, at some point you can start you know stretching it out a little and you'll get away the words didn't even half finish getting out of my mouth and they were gone I thought well at least they could have said okay or or just taken their time you know that eventually they would start to get slightly faster and creep over Zoom, it's gone sort of sand in my eyes you know as they just, so it was kind of humbling oh and then and then I get back and then some smart Alec some young another whippersnapper says let's have a sprint race and I, I mean I don't I'm not going to win but it's good exercise so I think I'll have a go so there's Luke and Caleb and Hudson the twitch muscles all around the place and 
These twitch muscles aren't twitching like they used to, and it's very humbling because I think, look, if you had a time machine, wouldn't it be cool if you could sort of get those young guns and take them back to the glory days? Reckon I'd give John Hull a run for his money back in the day. Uh, anyway, oh, what am I talking about that? How'd I get on? Anyway, uh, the tent, the tent. Sorry? I came last, didn't I? I oh, know. I think I beat Keelan. Over 50 metres, yeah, but, yeah, yay, I beat a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah. So I smacked him one on the way through, you know, and knocked, knocked him to the ground. No, anyway, look, it's all, it's all very humbling, this, you know, this life. Um, <laughs> but, hey, so what I'm saying is this tent is not going to last forever, but you look after it, you do your best, you have a lo- good long life, but it's not the end. We have eternal life ticking away right now on the inside. And when the tent finally frays and falls apart, it doesn't matter because you're alive right here on the inside. Your spirit is young. Your spirit is eternal and we get to go on into eternity. All because of Easter Sunday. Amen. And so, look, we'll come to a close. And I know you're thinking, are we going to actually get through this message without a sporting analogy? I don't want to disappoint you. So... Sorry? No, that's not an analogy. That was just a story, and it wasn't real sport. That's just general physical activity. Sport involves competition, organisation, all right? So, as I said, I don't want to disappoint you. Now, I'm not a sailor like Andrew. Do you know we've got a couple of champion sailors amongst us? Andrew, who's deaconing, is around organising things. Um, Craig Dewar is a successful, accomplished sailor who's got trophies. Um, well, I don't know much about sailing, but I do remember 2013 America's Cup. Now, you may know, this is actually the oldest trophy in international sport, and it's the most prestigious sailing event and competition where, uh, you know, they have a final series of races between, uh, in that, that year, it was USA and New Zealand teams in the uh, San Francisco Bay area. And the uh, competition is the first to nine victories of the sailing race that they mark out have these big fancy yachts and New Zealand won the first one uh, and the second one and the third one and the fourth one and the fifth and it just looked like well USA you've missed the boat pun intended and you are going to lose and you got to get to nine New Zealand got to seven nil oh and then USA okay they won one of the races so it's seven one New Zealand won the next one so it's eight one and they got to get to nine and then what many say the greatest comeback in sporting history took place where the American team came back from eight one down and won the next eight races in a row and broke the hearts of the poor Kiwis and won nine eight and they of course were thrilled they were so excited about this victory it was strong and sweet all because it was so unexpected um and of course you the key to the comeback, of course, was that there were a couple of Aussies in the American team. A guy called Jimmy Spithill, who's the skipper, and the strategist, you may have heard this name, Tom Slingsby, a guy who has won Olympic gold and is a coastie, thanks very much. Um, but my point is that great comebacks are greatly appreciated and remembered. And if you multiply, multiply that, that thrill, that memory, that appreciation by some billions, then you might come close to the greatest comeback, not just in sporting history, but in 
human history, and that is the comeback that Jesus made, because he was as dead as dead can be. That tomb was sealed. The devil was rejoicing. He thought he had done all he had to do. The disciples were depressed and downcast because they'd lost their Lord, and that was over. But the stone was rolled away, and that's a comeback worth celebrating. And that is the rest of the Easter message, because now he lives We can also live, and we do, simply by trusting in him. Eternal life comes in. Now, let me finish. You know, we think of this young guy, Samuel Payton, again, and you hear that story, and you think, oh, how tragic. His potential was cut short. His life was barely lived, and it is sad that he didn't make his mark on the earth as well as he could have, or for as long as he should have, or as long as most people get to. But the bigger picture is that now he's in glory that he's received much more than anything the world could ever have offered him simply by believing in Jesus. Because even those that were living at his time, in his generation, those who lived a good, long, satisfying, prosperous, productive, useful life, they're all gone anyway because it's 200 and something years ago. So we're all going Maybe not today. Hopefully not today. Uh, And not tomorrow. Or not in 10 years. Not in 20 years. But probably 100-ish years for most of us. It's just a matter of time. We've got to know where we're going long term. And that's the reality and the wonder and the grandeur of the Easter message, that we can prioritize our lives correctly. We, we don't just get to live a satisfying life with God's direction. I mean, if there was no heaven, if life was, you know, if there was, annihilation was, was correct, and it isn't because we know the Bible teaches us about judgment and eternity. But even if there was nothing beyond the grave, it would make sense to follow Christ. It would make sense to honor God to live the life that God has better planned for you than you can plan for yourself. It would bless you, be a blessing to others, which then makes your life feel better when you've got a sense of satisfaction from making a difference and being a positive influence on people. But beyond it all, it's like the Demtel offer, the steak knives. It's ridiculous. It just keeps getting better. Eternity in glory. So turn from G- turn from sin, turn to Jesus Deal with the darkness, let the light shine in and receive forgiveness, freedom and eternal life. Amen? Let's spend a moment in prayer and then we'll come to a close. Father, we thank you for the life that each one of us has to live here on earth. It's precious, we appreciate it, but we never completely know how long it's going to last. What we do want to know is where we're going beyond And Lord, we thank you that, Jesus, you came so that we don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to wonder what's going to go on in the future. We don't even have to live with a sense of hopelessness or or fear or guilt or, or all the ravages of sin. Lord, we can deal with them if we just turn to you. And we pray your light would shine into every life here today, into all the dark depths and recesses and corners, all our insecurities, all the sin and the guilt and the stuff that needs to be dealt with. We thank you, Lord. We'll never be good enough to come to you, but we don't have to be 
because Jesus, you've taken it all and left it all nailed to the cross. You know, just as we come to a close today, I want to encourage you to get right with God if you need to. It's simply by faith in him. You can pray a very simple, powerful prayer. You don't have to do anything or get better. You don't have to become a good person to earn God's love. God loves you just the way you are. And he loves you so much. He sent Jesus and he came and died on the cross as a penalty for our sin in our place. And he invites us to believe in him, to trust in him, to commit our life to him. And so if you want to do that, then you pray this prayer with me right now. Pray a prayer of commitment to God. It may be for the first time or it may be a recommitment of your life, reestablishing that relationship with him. On this Easter Sunday, you pray these words to God. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin. And Jesus, come, come inside my heart. Forgive me and set me free. Thank you for saving me and helping me to live with you all the days of my life. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, if you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time or as a recommitment, come and see me afterwards. Let me pray for you or talk or give you a little booklet to help you keep following the Lord. If you don't normally go to a church and this is your first time here or if you've made that prayerful commitment, keep coming here. Keep meeting with people and learning how to live the Christian life and follow Jesus, praying, reading the Bible, And as I said, we can help you do that. Come and see me if you need to. Thank you, Lord, for your touch, your blessing, your safety on everyone here today and all the children involved out there, all the families represented. We thank you again for this awesome day. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.